Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon. Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, but particularly older adults, and learn how you can connect with AARP to make our state more livable for all. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today, we're joined by Salida Reynolds, the Chief Innovation Officer and Head of the Department of Strategic Innovation for LA Metro. We'll be discussing transportation in California and how it plays a key role in our state's livability. Salida, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you, Dr. Gordon. I am so glad you're here and we dive into things, but before we jump in, Tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do in the transportation sector. Sure. I grew up in the Deep South. I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, where they're really transportation is it's a rural state. So it's about driving and riding your bike, especially when I was younger. That was the way we got around and connected. And then I left the state and I went to school on the East Coast and I graduated as a history major and came out to the West Coast to take any job they would give me in 1998 because they don't really hand out jobs to history majors back then or these days the same way they do for other fields. But it was the Bay Area in the late 90s. It was a dot-com boom. And one of the jobs that I was able to get was as an intern for the city of Oakland's Public Works Agency. And at that time, the city had received grants to put in a bunch of bike parking racks all around the city of Oakland. And so that was my job that first summer. And I really fell in love with it. I fell in love with going door to door, talking to business owners, talking to people who lived in those neighborhoods, talking to them about their lives, how they got around. And it made me quickly realize just how important transportation is to the fabric of people's lives and how powerful it is to be able to do something, even if it's a very small thing like putting in a bike rack in front of your favorite brunch spot to make that a little bit easier for people to get around. So I was smitten and I spent the last 25 years or so in transportation. I worked for the city of Oakland. I worked for the city of San Francisco for about eight years. I was the general manager of the Los Angeles Department of Transportation. And then last year I came to LA Metro, which is the county's transportation authority to lead up the Office of Strategic Innovation here at LA Metro and work on a lot of exciting projects. Some of the things in my purview include getting our act together and figuring out how we're going to get people moving for the 2028 Olympic and Paralympic Games, along with a lot of other exciting projects. That's my background in a nutshell. Oh my gosh, you have some wonderful experience, a lot of great experience. I know I can ask you anything now. Yes, I've been around, Dr. Gordon. We're going to put everything public transit into clear terms for our listeners. At AARP, of course, we believe in a broad set of transportation principles that help us to make it easier for an age-friendly, livable community. And our principles evolve around ensuring that transportation is accessible, promoting affordable transportation options, promoting healthy communities through sustainable transportation infrastructure, and of course, fostering coordinated transportation services and assets while strengthening federal and state leadership in transportation. 
So I want to touch on some of those points today, but I want to start with a very simple question, or maybe it's not so simple. I'm going to say it's simple, but we're going to put it in clear terms. What exactly is public transportation and what are the options that are generally available to most Californians? I love this question because a lot of times when people think about public transit, they think about buses and trains. And that is very true. Those are the usually the backbones of any public transportation system. But in the last several years, many cities and states and county governments have started to try and expand the number of transportation options that they can provide. For example, the city of Los Angeles, in a public-private partnership, provides electric vehicles through a car-sharing program called Blue LA. And that program is, you might, if you live in Los Angeles and as you move around town, you might occasionally see a bunch of these white cars all parked together that are plugged in and you can actually download an app and reserve one of those cars and use it when you need it. Another example is LA Metro, in partnership with a lot of local cities, has provided a public bike sharing system. If you see some of those bikes parked around in little clusters around town, They exist in a lot of different cities now. The same, you can get an app on your phone and you can go up to one of those bikes and there's actually a lot of electric bikes, which are my personal favorites because they make it so much easier to get around, especially when it gets hot here. You can get one of those bikes and use it for 30, 45 minutes to get where you need to go. I like to think of public transit as really any kind of transportation that is publicly owned. All of these things, whether it's electric vehicle car sharing or it's the bus or it's the train or it's bike share, these are forms of transportation that everybody pays for and they are managed by public agencies for the public good. So I think as we proceed in this conversation and we talk about particularly in California, and especially in Los Angeles, the challenges of getting around, just getting from A to B. You want to have as many choices as possible. And that's really been the trend over the last several years is trying to be creative and innovative and use those public dollars to uh, help people get where they need to go. Oh, and I love that part of your title, the innovation person. (laughs) These are definitely some innovative ways of thinking about transportation and just knowing that it's something that anyone can use, that it's owned by the public. That's how we see it. Now, you mentioned some of these options in L.A., Can these options differ by different regions? Absolutely, they can. I think that generally the trend has been in the United States in transportation, cities like San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland, San Diego, Los Angeles, Long Beach. In almost all of those cities, for example, you can find a bike share system. In many of those cities, you can also access car sharing. And in all of those cities, there are buses and many of them trains available as well to help people get around. Okay, wonderful. So we know it's different for each region and probably for each community, especially for each community. Because when you said using an electric bike for 30 to 45 minutes, I'm thinking, where can you get in my community in 30 minutes? Like nowhere. I would be able to just go around the corner and back. But that's a different topic. That's a different topic. Yeah. Yes. But let's go into how public transportation, what type of role does it play in terms of livability for people of all ages and abilities? Talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah. When you look at all of the trips that you may take in a day or that the listeners may take in a day, you think about the variety there. You may take a short trip to go down to the grocery store. You may take a longer trip to go see friends, go out to eat. You may take a longer trip because you're going into an office or there's just a huge variety of shapes and sizes of different trips that you need to make. And what happens is if you do not have adequate, dignified, safe, affordable, reliable transportation, is that all of a sudden those trips that you can make begin to shrink. And with them, so does your quality of life. A few years ago, LA Metro and the Department of Transportation did some real deep research in the transportation needs of women and girls. And what we found is that there really exists a profound gender gap when it comes to whether or not people have adequate options for how they get around. And what we found, particularly for women, especially in lower income communities and communities of color, in particular black communities like the neighborhood of Watts in Los Angeles, is that the kinds of trips that women are not able to make because the transportation system fails them are exactly the ones that contribute to their own mental health being and thriving. So living three miles from the ocean, but never going to the beach, not being able to go worship in community and fellowship because it takes you an hour to get to church on a Sunday because the bus doesn't run as frequently, not being able to see their family members that maybe live in other parts of the county as often as they would like, because to get there would take two trains and a bus and by the time they get there, they just have to turn right back around and come home. And that's also true for older adults. It's true for young children. The number one reason why people do not make it to medical appointments is transportation. The number one or number two reason why kids don't get out into open space in particular is transportation. It really is this invisible connector that can be the difference between a thriving quality of life and one that is more Spartan. Oh, wow. And that's so important, especially as we look at aging adults. I understand there's about 600,000 older adults who stop driving each year, according to the U.S. Aging and National Association for Area Agencies on Aging. It has to make it difficult in terms of even getting out for social events. You mentioned just being able to get to the beach or something like that. And again, that's talking about livability for all ages, because who doesn't need to get to the beach sometimes? It's just so much to think about. And in many cities, especially as I think of growing up back east, it was not even a question in terms of you get up in the morning, you go outside and there's a bus stop right outside your door almost. And you hop on that bus and then you take a train and you pop around and public transportation was everywhere. It seems like it's a little more difficult in California. So let's talk about what public transportation looks like in California and what are some of the barriers or the user barriers, particularly for older adults in harder to reach communities, as you spoke of, in terms of women, the gender barrier and things like that, or the gender difference, and even in different communities that are further away and don't have that access. Can you share a little bit about what are some of those user barriers and if there's any type of way that state and local governments are looking to address those issues. Yeah. I mentioned at the beginning that I was a history major. And so I'm always curious about 
How did we get here? What were the decisions and why were those decisions made that give us our current situation? And what's important to know, particularly about the West, is that the Western United States and many parts of the United States outside of the Eastern Seaboard were built up mainly in the 50s and 60s. And in that era, there was a very different approach to what we call land use. So what goes where? And in particular, you had a lot of suburban development. A lot of suburbs got built in that era. A lot of freeways got built in that era. In the 1960s, that was really when we completed the national interstate system because the idea was that if you had a car, you could have a 30-year fixed mortgage. You'd work the same job. You'd get in your car every morning. You'd drive on the freeway. You'd go downtown. When you got your pension and you retired, your house was paid off, right? And that was the model of American life and really the American dream. And Los Angeles famously rebuilt itself around the car. Many cities in the United States once had very extensive cable car systems. But in that era when the modern way or the way of the future was really driving, that's when we transformed our cities to be places where it's very difficult to get anywhere reliably without a driver's license, and without being able to afford and own a car, which means you got to have access to credit. Think about all of the people that are disenfranchised in that system. If you don't have a driver's license, if you can't get a driver's license, if you lose your license, or if you're too young, or if you have a disability, or if you don't have access to credit, all of these things really cut you out of the social sort of aspect of living your life. And the other thing that happened around the same time, really more like the 70s and 80s, when we began to rebuild our public transit system, is that those systems were designed to serve almost exclusively nine to five white collar workers. So you'd have really, if you have public transit service, it would be good from, say, seven to nine a.m. in the morning if you live in a neighborhood to get to the employment center and from four to six in the afternoon to head home. Think about who that disenfranchises. Anybody who works a second shift, anybody who works a third shift, anybody who has to make several trips in a row, which is predominantly women. Women do a lot of the household labor. And even though it's unpaid, it's still a job. You have to drop your kids off at school. Maybe you've got to go pick up a prescription because you're the caretaker for your parents. And then you've got to pick your kids up, get them to their after school activity and then get home, public transit was never designed to serve those kinds of transportation needs. The good news is that many places over the last decade or two have begun slowly awakening to this reality that as folks who are interested in community happiness and social cohesion, a greater understanding of how critical those things are to our mental health and our overall well-being, that transportation systems have started to be redesigned. For example, in Los Angeles, as well as Houston, now Miami and Seattle, all of those cities took a top-to-bottom fresh look at how they were providing that transit service and shifted to try and serve more of those trips that are not commute trips. Because commute trips actually only make up about a 20% portion of all the trips that we make as we move around. The other thing that is there to start to fill in the gap, especially for older adults or anybody who has a disability, is paratransit. 
So most public transit agencies also provide paratransit, which is a service where you can call and make an appointment and book a ride. And really, public transit agencies are required by federal law to provide door-to-door service. And many of those agencies in the recent past have started to do creative things like instead of using a van, you can call a taxi and you can use your Medicare or Medicaid benefits to pay for those trips if you need them. And some places are even working together with companies like Uber and Lyft to provide those kinds of services. But we have a long way to go to really serve all of those needs. It sounds like a lot to take in, and I'm glad that you mentioned the paratransit services and explained that those are these door-to-door services that people can use, because it also brings me to the idea of who can afford transportation. When you spoke about some of these different options, what is the affordability of it? Let's focus on that a little bit from the user's perspective. And are there discounted ridership programs? And how would listeners go about finding this information about the paratransit or any of these services or on anything with transportation? How do we find the information and what is actually out there? I think first things first, whatever community you live in, you'd want to locate whoever that public transit provider is. And that can be as simple as Just looking at the branding on a bus or looking at what does the bus stop say when you see a bus stop, who is the public transit agency? And then looking them up, almost all of them have public facing phone numbers that you can call and or extensive websites that have all that information for folks about how to access the paratransit services. And almost always across the board, I can't Think of a single public transit agency that does not have reduced fares for older adults. And in particular, at LA Metro, you can apply to get a reduced fare card at 60 years old, and then you can come back in and do it again at 62 and 65 and get further reductions. And those trips, if you're just talking about taking a bus or a train, 75 cents one way, some as inexpensive as 35 cents. If you're not traveling during the peak of the day, the heart of the day between, say, 9 and 3. And LA Metro, along with many other transit agencies, including New York City, has instituted something called fare capping, which is just what it sounds like. Over the course of a day, for example, if you are using the reduced fares for older adults on LA Metro, you take a trip during the peak for 75 cents, maybe you take another one, and maybe you take another couple during that day. You'll never pay more than $2.50, no matter how many rides you take. So the more you ride, the less expensive it becomes overall. And over the course of a week, you'll never pay more than $5. If you're taking, say, the bus to and from someplace seven days a week, very quickly, you're taking trips for free. And most of those transit agencies that provide that or that provide any kind of reduced fares for seniors have a way to go on their website or go to where they are located, their headquarters, and access those reduced fare prices with some form of government ID so that you can get your own reduced fare card. Oh, I love that. That's something you really shouldn't have shared with baby boomers. (laughs) And now we're going to all be like, okay, we have to ride at least five times a day. 
so that we could get the right discount. I got to get my free ride. That's it. Hey, nothing wrong with that. We love that. So that may encourage some of us to get out on public transportation a little more than we have been in the past. Wonderful. So there's fare capping. Love that concept. And reduce fares for older adults, 60 plus. And then you can find your provider by just looking around at any bus stop or on the train or on the bus, and you'll know who your provider is. Wonderful information for us. I'm taking all of this in. I recently had a friend whose license has now been suspended unless she can pass the test again, and she's challenged with some memory issues. And so the tests may be challenging for her to pass. And we were just speaking yesterday about how reliant we were on cars yeah, and understanding that we do have a system that is here and that we have wonderful people like you looking for innovative ways to make it even better is very consoling for me to know that. So let's talk a little bit about some of this innovation During your time as a transportation professional, what innovative ideas or approaches are you aware of that have expanded access to transportation for older adults and the harder-to-reach communities? So I'll talk about a couple of things. One of them is a very simple idea that came out of that work that I spoke of earlier, looking at the transportation needs of women and girls. And one of the things that came out of that work was a very clear focus on safety and security. And I think that is true for everyone. Everybody is concerned about their safety, women in particular. And I also would say older adults, right? That as you go through public spaces, if you are part of any sort of marginalized group, you begin to feel quite vulnerable and you feel concerned about the folks you're encountering and You never know what somebody else is going through or what they're dealing with, and it can make things feel a little unpredictable. And so we looked closely at that and decided that for the public transit that the city of Los Angeles operates, so if you live in L.A., that's the dash, would start doing what we called on-demand stops, particularly after dark. For example, if you were on a bus and the official bus stop is not exactly where you want to go. Maybe it's a few blocks out of the way. You know you're going to have to do that walk. It's after dark. Maybe you don't feel comfortable, especially in the winter months when it's darker for much longer. You can ask the driver to stop wherever you need. So you can shorten the distance that you walk. You can reduce your stress and anxiety. And you can just feel a little bit more taken care of by the system, by the public transportation system. A bigger innovative idea is something called universal basic mobility. This is a pilot that is currently underway in Los Angeles, but in many other cities as well. There's a program in Portland. There's a program in Pittsburgh, where the one in South Los Angeles in particular is a program where we went out and got grant money from the state to provide users $150 a month on a debit card to be used for Anything besides a car, basically, but that includes Uber, Lyft, taxis, Amtrak, a bus pass, a bike share pass, the electric vehicle car sharing, to try and reduce that financial burden. We know that transportation is often the second biggest cost for a household after housing itself. How can we remove that barrier? How can we make it easier for people to get where they need to go to access opportunity and to be able to get that wide range of choices. 
I'm very privileged, lucky. I've got a mobile phone. I've got a bunch of different apps in there. I can call for all kinds of different transportation options anytime I want. But that's not true for everybody. And it doesn't benefit all of us if we are leaving folks behind. We have to be able to look for creative ways to bring folks along. So whether that's direct aid, like universal basic mobility, or it's just something simple, like allowing people to have a shorter walk, compassionate and thoughtful, and I would say also innovative ways that we're starting to think about transportation, not just as the way that you get from A to B, but as something that truly determines your economic mobility, your overall happiness, and your mental health. I love these examples that you gave, the on-demand service. Oh my gosh, so many times I wish that I could just stop at one point. David would say, oh, can I stop here? But you would think it might disrupt the flow of traffic or something. I don't know. So I'd never even thought. Yeah. A lot of the reasons why we didn't have anything like that in the past is for the driver, for the transit operator, those jobs are incredibly challenging. I don't know how the folks who do that day in and day out, and they are such an important part of your community. If you take the bus on a regular basis and you get to know your driver, you know they're going to give you a little bit of a break if you come up a little short on your fare or they're going to de-escalate a conflict or they're going to help maybe keep everything all together, help somebody who's got a mobility impairment get safely to their seat, all of those kinds of things. But for them, they've got a schedule to keep. they got to hit their mark. They've got to make it to those stops. They've got to drop off and pick up. And if everybody on the bus is getting off exactly where they want to, then it starts to fall apart. That was the reasoning in the past not to consider something like that. So we thought, how many people are really going to want to do that? Let's see. Why don't we try it out? And as it turns out, it didn't affect the schedule. And it was very positive for the folks who were able to use that service. That's amazing. And then also the universal basic mobility. How do you access that? Again, do you just contact the agency that you are in the area of? Yeah. And for now, that is a pilot in South L.A., And the city partnered with some community-based organizations to get out into the community, help raise awareness about it, help bring people on board, go to things like farmers markets, senior centers, et cetera, to try and bring people in. When the pilot is done, so that'll go for probably another eight months or so, we hope to expand it. And at that point, hopefully it'll be more broadly available. And hopefully it'll help to demystify some of the things that Metro is doing so that older adults can understand it better. And of course, it addresses affordability so well. So let's speak now to how public transportation ridership is coming down in many communities since the pandemic. How has the pandemic impacted public transportation? I think that what the pandemic really exposed was before I talked about how, at least in the United States, We have primarily planned a lot of our public transit system around those nine to five workers. And when many of those folks who were working that traditional kind of job and going into the city and then back out of the city began to work remotely during the pandemic, that transit ridership really disappeared. In particular, the example in California is the Bay Area, where you can just see it so clearly The financial district in San Francisco was really the hub of a lot of jobs. And as that neighborhood has really struggled to come back, that way of working has begun to disappear or diminish. Those vacancy rates in those buildings have shot up. You don't have people renting out space in the Transamerica building and the high rises. 
And so there isn't an audience anymore to come in from, say, Lafayette or Walnut Creek or Oakland or Berkeley into downtown San Francisco and then back home again. So the Bay Area has been, I think, of all of the transit agencies in California, has been most severely impacted. Their ridership is still really struggling to recover. It continues to be somewhere around 50, 60 percent of what it was pre-pandemic. The other thing that happened during the pandemic, in particular, you see it more clearly in places like Los Angeles, is that you had a lot more people who were falling into poverty. You saw large increases in homelessness and people living on the streets. And in particular in Los Angeles, I read something that was an article just a couple of weeks ago about how older adults make up a disproportionate number of folks living on the street because they're on fixed income. And as housing prices have increased and become out of reach, they don't have anywhere to go. But a lot of those folks, not older adults, but just folks who are struggling with homelessness in particular, would just ride the system because it was a safe place to be, a place with air conditioning and so on. And so that really began to change people's view of public transit, right? As the pandemic kind of began to recede and people began to come back to public transit, they encountered a very different system. Now in LA, our ridership has been more resilient, in particular on the weekends. So people taking transit on the weekends, Los Angeles is back to about 80% of what it was pre-pandemic. Overall, we're at about 77% of what we were pre-pandemic. So people are slowly but surely coming back to the system and using the system in really large numbers. And I think the reason for that in Los Angeles in particular, we had a lot of folks, particularly frontline workers, that continued to rely on public transit during the pandemic and have begun to come back. And because you live in L.A. County, we don't have that same kind of traditional, there's not one job center and then someplace where everybody else lives. It's a big mix-up, mishmash, multiple job centers, multiple places where people live. And so we've been a little bit more resilient in recovering our ridership. But statewide, as well as across the United States, ridership on public transit is returning and it's continuing its upward trend very consecutively over the last several months. LA Metro has seen an increase even month over month. So we're moving back to being at full strength, but we still have a little ways to go. It seems like LA Metro is really moving forward and working on different projects and different things like that. I'm glad to hear that it's recovering and that projects in California and that other transportation systems are recovering as well. As we look at the different opportunities that transit can offer, you've mentioned so many different opportunities that it offers to our different communities. What are some of the potential new projects that Californians can expect to see at the state level and then also with L.A. Metro? Actually, this last year has been a really exciting year for public transit in California. These projects, they take a really long time to build. I was just actually yesterday visiting the site of a new rail line that's going to go eventually all the way from downtown out to UCLA which will be incredible and really exciting. But they're digging down and tunneling through the earth. It is a very slow process that takes a long time because there's high-rise buildings on top of all of that. So many of these projects that started maybe a decade ago have just started opening. So in Los Angeles, we have the regional connector, which means that now you can take a one-seat ride, meaning 
You get on the train in Pasadena and you can take it all the way to Santa Monica. You don't have to transfer. So we connected a little, we created a little clasp in the necklace and think about it that way. So connecting those two ends so that you don't have to switch, which makes it really, I think, exciting. You can get out to the beach in an hour or so reliably in each direction if you want, if you live near those lines. In Northern California, San Francisco opened the Central Subway, which was a long-awaited project that goes into the heart of Chinatown and North Beach. So really exciting, big public transit projects that are going to continue to roll out. Those kinds of rail extensions, BART in the San Francisco Bay Area is continuing to work on their extension to San Jose. Here in Los Angeles, thanks to the voters, we have money to basically restore miles and miles of subway and, and light rail that will connect the region. That is due to a program, a one-cent sales tax called Measure M. So if you're interested in it, you can just Google Measure M Los Angeles and you can see all of the projects underway out to Pasadena, Norwalk, Torrance, all over the county to really almost restore that cable car system that we used to have back in the 50s and the 40s to reconnect this huge region that is in desperate need of more choices for how people can get around. Those all sound like really exciting projects. Now, you mentioned you were a history major, so I want you to debunk some history for me. The digging and the tunneling that you're talking about. So many times we hear about we can't have a subway here in L.A. or in California because of earthquakes. What's the truth on it? Oh, I mean, well, we have to take that so seriously. I mean, we cannot play around with that. But we know how to do that. We know how to build those projects. And in particular, I think you can look at the way that some of those systems performed during past events. So 89 Loma Prieta earthquake, BART, that tunnel stayed intact. And many of the rail lines were actually some of the most secure and the most seismically reinforced ways of getting around. While the Bay Bridge, of course, had the tragic break there and the freeway over in Oakland fell down completely. So I think it's good to always be skeptical if somebody tells you they can build it faster or cheaper, especially in earthquake country, because that's just not true. They're definitely trying to sell you a bill of goods. But having said that, we know how to build safe subway systems in this state and we've done it successfully, and we're going to continue to do it because it's so important for everybody's well-being. Okay, great. That's good to hear. We want to know that we're safe. Yes, me too. Me too, Dr. Gordon. Absolutely. Now, expanding and all of these wonderful things that I'm hearing about can be very expensive. Can you explain in clear terms how the cost of public transportation and the investment in public transportation can pay off and benefit our community? Yes. This is something that we hear in particular. I wouldn't say it's unique to California. It's a phenomenon in the United States more broadly, is that you'll hear what something is going to cost. And then over the course of its construction, it hardly ever gets cheaper. It almost always becomes more expensive. Some of that is due to the fact that just as we were speaking of earlier, as soon as you open up the ground, you don't always know what you're going to find down there. And in cities that are older and you've got a lot of sewer systems, you've got a lot of fiber optic communication wiring down there, you've got a lot of 
maybe abandoned old sewer lines or water lines that are not on any map. And when you get down there, you don't know what you're going to find. And so a lot of times you have things that are unexpected and that can cause the cost to increase. LA Metro in particular has now created a whole team called the Early Intervention Team, whose job it is to get involved very early on in a project and troubleshoot and take a little more time on the front end, in particular to look at utility relocation, which is one of the primary drivers of cost increases. Get all the information before you open up the ground so that you have a more reliable cost estimate and that you can stick to those numbers. But having said that, I think it's difficult when you hear about how much a project costs, or sometimes people will put it in these terms. They'll talk about cost per rider. Paratransit in particular is one where you can imagine it's more expensive to have a van go out farther, pick up one person and bring them where they're wanting to go than it is to take a bus full of people up and down the same street every day. What we don't ever talk about is the return per rider. Yeah. What does that mean for that individual's life? What does it mean for the number of trips that they can take? We've talked a lot about mental health. I think a lot about loneliness. I think a lot about isolation, particularly for people who don't have access to as many transportation options as maybe I do or others, my sort of peer group. Think about not just being able to get to a job, but being able to get to it reliably enough on time every day that you can keep that job, that you can get promoted in that job, that you can keep your family from falling into poverty, that you can put your kids into a good school, that you can invest in your family's future. These are things that we don't often think about when we think about the cost of public transportation because we get trapped into that mindset of the cost instead of the value. Absolutely. And I think you put that so clearly that it connects us. Transportation is this as you said earlier, this invisible connector. And we need connection. As older adults, we absolutely need connection and to be able to connect. So these are all just wonderful tips that you've shared. I wish we had a whole hour more, but I want to jump into a couple of more things. One of the things you said that I really would love to dive into, which I know we can't, is how you go into that early intervention team and digging down and finding out what's there ahead of time, working with the utility companies. We had another show in which we talked about utilities and can we do this electrical grid underground and all that. Do you work in connection with the utility companies so that the infrastructure that is being built is maybe more affordable if working together to get these lines underground? Yes, absolutely. But I think it's true in lots of businesses and certainly in government. A lot of these agencies are separate. They have their own separate boards or commissions. They have their own list of projects that they're working on. They have their own unfunded mandates that they have to meet. And so sometimes when not just a utility company, but a city or a public agency sees that there's a construction project coming they look at that location and they say, oh, look, this is where we were going to do X, Y, and Z work. Maybe we can get these folks to help us offset the cost of that. And maybe we can do that work after they've opened up the ground, but that will delay the construction project and also potentially make it more expensive. 
it's challenging to have everybody rowing in the same direction, everybody working towards the same goal. I think where you're really going to see us compelled to work with utility companies in ways that we have not in the past is the electrification of the transit fleets around the country and the nation. This administration has put an unprecedented amount of money, President Biden's administration, unprecedented amount of money into investing in changing our buses from compressed natural gas to either battery electric or green hydrogen electric. And that transition is going to require a grid that we don't have, that doesn't exist. And now that there's money available and maybe there's a little bit more alignment on the goals, I hope that we see a renaissance of us all working together towards those common goals. Now, wouldn't that be an innovative idea? Let's work together. It's the little things, Dr. Gordon. It's the little things. I want to talk more and just dive in a little bit on mobility as a service, the MS. This is a common term in the transportation world, but can you define it for our listeners? And also, what are some of its benefits, particularly as our state's population ages? This is a term of art, and it's one of those things that it's difficult to understand if you're not in transportation. It doesn't make intuitive sense. But what it basically means, earlier when I was talking about universal basic mobility, is that idea that you would maybe pay on a monthly basis for a subscription to a whole variety of transportation options, right? Transportation network companies like Uber, Lyft, taxi, bike share, transit, car share. You would pay just like you do for other utilities. I think sometimes it's useful to think about transportation as a utility and thinking about what if you could just pay a monthly bill and have access to a whole wide variety of choices And in some ways, trying to simplify the doorway in. So maybe you just have one app or maybe you just have one phone number or you have one way to access those options. So think about most people are familiar with Google Maps. That's the way a lot of people figure out or Apple Maps, how they're going to get from A to B, what their route is going to be. When you pull that app up and you say, I'm going to go from my home out to dinner And it gives you choices. It says you could drive and it would take this long or you could take the bus and it would take this long. You could bike, et cetera. What if you could choose among those different options and actually book those options also and say, I want to take a taxi and I'm going to hit this button at the bottom and it's going to call a cab for me. And I don't need to worry about the fare because I've already paid my monthly bill. That is really the vision of mobility as a service. And one of the things that Universal Basic Mobility Pilot is trying to get at, how can we give people the funds and how can we make sure the services are in place? And then how can we make sure that human touch is there? So I want to mention this program that Metro has because mobility as a service is not enough to have it be affordable, to have it be available. You need a guide. You need somebody who's done it, used it, and can say word of mouth. That is really, that's where it's at, right? You think about most things in your life, like where you get your hair cut, your dentist. You use your community and you figure out how to use these things. Metro has a program called On the Move Riders Program, specifically for older adults, where we go into anywhere where we think older adults will be, faith communities, senior centers libraries, other gathering spots, farmers markets, wherever we can to help share with older adults, particularly how to use the system. 
And not just that, but we actually have volunteers who are older adults themselves who you can sign up to take a ride with a couple times a week or a month. It's nice to have somebody who's been there and done that, can help you figure out how do you pay for it, where do you get on, which direction are you going in. And so mobility as a service really needs that piece of it. In this case, On the Move Riders is really focused on the core services Metro has, the bus, train. And if you want to know more about it, you can go to metro.net forward slash on the move. But that human touch, that kind of buddy system, if you will, it worked great when we were in kindergarten. It still works great now. And that's really a part of of mobility as a service that people don't often talk about because the other stuff is exciting and there's technology involved and it's cool and it's innovative. But if you don't get the low tech part, if you don't have those ambassadors, those concierges, those helping hands, it's worthless because people won't use something that's unfamiliar to them and therefore intimidating. And we need that for everything. We need that human touch for pretty much everything. I love that. Metro.net forward slash on the move for a program to help you learn how to access these mobility services. Oh, my gosh. I love that. You're my hero for bringing that up. I knew I had to get it in. There's somebody who could hold my hand. I know. My colleagues who run that program, it's amazing. I reached out to them to get more information about it. And I was like, I got to make sure, got to work that in because that's a good one. That is gold right there on the move. So metro.net forward slash on the move. We're going to make sure everyone knows about that. There's so many good nuggets that you've given us today from the savings with the pilot program you have in South LA, the universal basic mobility to the on-demand stops for those who may need to stop a little bit sooner or later so that they can be at a a right point off of one of the public transportation places. I still have to get in because AARP is big on advocacy, and that is one of the things that we do. I want to talk a little bit about advocacy. You mentioned Measure M a little earlier, but in terms of the advocacy component, how can our listeners be advocates for transportation and mobility at the local and the state level? I think no matter where you live in California, an excellent starting point is the California Transit Association. So that is a group located in Sacramento, and they put out a newsletter and they put out information. If you just Google California Transit Association, it'll pop up first thing. And you can get all kinds of information about what people are advocating for at the state level. For example, many transit agencies in the state were facing what's called a fiscal cliff because ridership is down. They were looking at having to cut back service because they didn't have adequate money to fund the operations, right, which is mostly labor, mostly those transit operators that we talked about earlier. And there was a big battle at the state level to see how we could save public transit in the state of California. And so that's a good example of something that you can get on and get information about that. When it comes to the local level, I would say there's, again, learn who your local public transit agency is. Learn about your local Department of Transportation, wherever you are, and then just take a look at what kind of board or committee do those transit agencies report up to. Again, public transit is publicly owned, and it must be transparent and accountable. And just start looking at what the agendas are just to get a flavor of what kind of things those transit agencies are focused on. 
Our CEO, Stephanie Wiggins, just gave a state of the agency address recently that you can go and if you're in L.A. and you want to know, you can go onto Metro.net and find that speech so you can hear what are some of the things that L.A. Metro is focused on. This next year, it's really going to be about cleanliness, safety, and reliability to make people feel welcomed back onto the system, to make them feel like it's a place that they can be. But I would say that. And then I would also just say, in most of the parts of the state, we live in places that are built out, and we're not getting any new dirt, and we're not in the business of double-decking freeways and so on. But we know that we have to change how we get around, and we have a fixed amount of asphalt to make those changes. So you may encounter your local agency coming into your neighborhood and saying, we want to take this parking lane or this travel lane, and we want to make it a bus-only lane because we want to speed up the public transit so that it's not sitting in the same traffic as everybody else because we want to move more people more quickly where they need to go. And I would just say your first reaction to that may be a negative one. It may feel like it's an attack on your way of life. How does that make sense? You're going to take away a lane for cars and give it to a bus or give it to a bicyclist. Think about all of the folks that we talked about earlier that are being left behind because they do not drive. Think about how much better, stronger, and happier your neighborhood, your community, your city will be when that rising tide can lift all of our boats. And try and have an open mind. Really listen to what's being proposed and see if you can be a force for positive change for those folks who might not have the luxury to go to the meeting and have their voices heard. We, during the pandemic, if it taught us nothing else, it's that we are all deeply connected and we must all advocate for each other in order for us to succeed as individuals and collectively. So, Salida, if you could leave our listeners with one soundbite, what would it be? I would just say public transit is a public good. And it contributes to all of our well-being, whether you personally use it or not. It's in all of our interests that everybody, all our neighbors, all our friends, all our family can get where they need to go to fulfill the dreams that they have when they wake up every morning. And transportation is that connection. As much as you can, look for ways not just to try out the system and use the system, but to advocate to make the system better for everyone. Salida, thank you for joining us on In Clear Terms with AARP California. This was an incredibly informative conversation. Again, we have had the pleasure of speaking with Salida Reynolds, Chief Innovation Officer and Head of the Department of Strategic Innovation for LA Metro. And we talked about transportation in the Golden State. In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts who can shed light on critical issues in our state, how AARP is working to ensure the voice of those age 50 plus is heard, and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions. Thank you for listening.